0: Good morning, y'all. Clean up pretty well. Happy Easter to you. How are we doing on this beautiful, beautiful day? That well, okay, all right, wonderful. Thank you for responding. I'm kind of a talk back preacher. Y'all can talk back at me. It's just fine. My name's Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E Free Church, and. Uh, if we haven't met, I'd love to connect with you after the service. We welcome you today. If you're watching today online, we welcome you to the service right now as well. So grateful that you chose to join us today, especially if you're a newcomer here today. We know there's many different places. Yeah, you go on Easter Sunday morning. Thank you for giving us a try. We appreciate you doing so and hope that you can connect well with God and connect well with a few others here in this room today as well. What we'd like to do here today is... Tell a little bit of that old, great story, because I got nothing new to share. On Easter, I just have this old, beautiful, glorious story, which still refreshes our spirit to share today. That passage that Dave and Judy just read is one of the less familiar passages in the resurrection story, isn't it? And so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking through it, and even more than talking through it what I hope to do here though this morning is speak a little bit to what does the resurrection mean for us today? Like what difference does it actually make in terms of what we believe and how we would operate and what hope and what kind of faith we would have today if this actually happened. We believe that His is the beautiful name. There is no rival compared to the name of Jesus as we just sang. And I I, I hope and I trust you're moved by that song because we really believe here today that the grave remains empty and therefore our faith is full. Uh, Imagine with me, if you would, that you are with this couple that's walking on the road to Emmaus and you, like them, are downcast Because you had put your hope in this man, believing that he was the long-awaited one. And now he's gone. And so you're out for what you think is a hike of sorts. You have clouds all over your soul. You're not sure how to make sense of what's happened over these previous days. There's a fog over you, and so you hope that maybe by... Joining with another friend who is likewise grieving on a sunny, beautiful day like this, perhaps that will pierce the clouds within and bring a little bit of hope to your soul. But seven miles later, as you've been walking from Jerusalem for seven miles now, you're hearty people, the fog still remains. You know, what do we do next? Where do we go next? You don't even know where to start. Because for the past three years or so, you've been following this one who is kinder than any you had ever met, who is more compassionate, who is a more brilliant teacher, who is stronger than any you had ever met. He knew everything about you, from the top of your head to the bottom of your souls. He knew it all, and yet still, inexplicably, he loved you unconditionally, he loved you even as he knew it all, the good stuff and the bad stuff. You had put your trust in him. You you had hoped that this was the one your ancestors had said was going to come and bring about freedom from oppression from Roman rule. You see, you're a Jewish man or a Jewish woman living in the first century, and so you have been living under the heavy hand of Roman oppression. In your own land for several generations now your ancestors said there is one that's been promised in the Hebrew scriptures that is coming and he will release us he will bring us that long-awaited freedom that we have been hoping for that we have been longing for and you thought that maybe he was the one hard for us to imagine here in 2019, Nebraska. Maybe it would be similar to the African-American experience back in pre-civil rights era, Alabama or Mississippi. That These were folks who were living under the oppressive thumb of a government rule in their own land. And they had the terms of their worship limited. The terms of their socioeconomic status were limited very, very low. There was a glass ceiling on them. The terms of their freedom were limited and so they were fed up. You're fed up. After several generations of this, as a result, you've been following Jesus for the past three years. And as you've been following Jesus, you notice this is one who heals the sick. This is one who opens the eyes of the blind This is one who releases the oppressed. This is one who shouts down those who would mistreat the poor and the weak among us. This is one who is the most brilliant teacher who spoke with authority. And just last week, as he came into Jerusalem, some of your own people were waving palm fronds in front of him and laying out their cloaks on Palm Sunday. Why? To ascribe worship to him. To say, here comes the victorious one that we've been waiting for, the military king who will defeat those enemies. But then Friday came. And as Friday came, you saw this brilliant teacher, the one you've been following, climb up that old, rugged, nasty Roman cross. And he was nailed there. His back was ripped to shreds, and in that moment, your faith in God's deliverance was likewise, ripped to shreds. Now it's Sunday, probably Sunday afternoon, and this rumor's been swirling around that Jesus has appeared to a few of the women who followed him. And you don't really believe that because women didn't have a testimony back then. They didn't have any place in a court of law, so it didn't make a lot of sense to you. You didn't think you could believe, well, what they said. But, but, but then the rumor continues, and you heard that he appeared to Peter, like one of the inner three disciples while with Jesus. You're still not buying it because dead people don't rise far from the grave last time you checked. And so... Heartbroken you are, gullible you are not, you still go on, crestfallen, because the one you were waiting for is not here. You're on a walk on the road to Emmaus, hoping for freedom, but it turns out to be nothing more than a cul-de-sac. That's the story. That's the story that we just read. But then in the midst of it, something changed, didn't it? What was it that changed? It says their hearts were burning within them when he opened up the scriptures to them along the road. What was it that changed? They actually witnessed the resurrected Christ before their very eyes, and in that moment, everything changed. Friend, so it is for us today. When the tomb of Jesus is empty, as it still is today, then our trust in God is full. This is the time that when empty means full. When the tomb of Jesus remains empty as it does today, then our trust in God, whatever you might be going through today, remains full. The most important question that each and every one of us will ask is this. Is Jesus dead or alive? You see, if he's dead, he might have some nice history lessons to teach us some good moral principles that we could learn from, and he would probably remain an important figure in our history books. But life goes on, and he makes no real difference to us. Truly, that's what it is if he's dead. But if he's alive, then he is everything that he said he was. Indeed, what the resurrection means for us today is if he is alive, then he is Lord. Jesus Lord. He's everything that he said he was. You know, it's really interesting. Um, many Americans continue, even here in Enlightened 2019, to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Back in 2013, in fact, the, there was a very reputable poll done by the Rasmussen Group, which polls Americans' religious beliefs. And back in 2013, it indicated that 64% of Americans still believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I was amazed as I read that. But it's interesting, as you kind of pick it back a little bit and look at the questions and the answers, many people do believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, but many people have kind of redefined what it's about. And they've redefined it to say that it's a spiritual renewal that Jesus went through. That as he was spiritually renewed, so also we could be spiritually renewed. Or they've redefined it to, to this idea that it's kind of like the spring season. The death turns into life again and it becomes this grand metaphor for the kind of renewal that we could go through. A nice myth to believe in. Even a myth that contains some truths, some principles for our lives that we could hold on to. But the earliest Christians all took the hard route and they were unanimous in this. It's not a spiritual resurrection. It wasn't a nice myth to believe in that could inspire us today. It's actually true. With a capital T, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Not in a mythological sense, but in a very real physical sense in time and space, which means Jesus is indeed Lord. And this is why our faith is full. You know, all of the early followers of Jesus were these Jewish men and women. It's so fascinating to me that these Jewish men and women took this hard route of believing in the resurrection, the physical resurrection of Jesus. And as they did, they took on this phrase to describe Jesus. And it goes like this. Kyrios Christos. Why don't you say that with me? Kyrios Christos. Look at you learning Greek language here on Sunday morning. Kyrios Christos just means Christ the Lord. Kyrios is the Lord. Christos is Christ. And the earliest Jewish followers of Jesus speaking the Greek language, which was the language of the day in the Roman Empire, all began to take on this belief that Jesus was Lord, which is really hard to fathom from a fiercely monotheistic people that they would believe that God came down from heaven into human form and he took on flesh, and they used the very same term, kurios, to describe Jesus as they used to describe Yahweh, the great creator of the heavens and the earth. Wow! And not only did they ascribe lordship to Jesus, but also it begins to upend their religious practices. And their Sabbath changes from a Saturday to a Sunday. And their dietary restrictions change such that today we can eat Easter ham. And eventually they give up their very lives for this belief. Not a spiritual resurrection, but a physical resurrection of Jesus. They give up their lives for that, and the Roman Empire itself is eventually upended for that basic belief that Jesus died and he rose again. And when the grave is empty, then our trust in God is full. You you know, there's a number of commonly held historical convictions about what happened on that first Easter Sunday morning. And we've talked about it on a number of different occasions on Easter's here in the past. I won't go into detail about the historical truth of the resurrection, though, this morning. But I do want to just share these three commonly held historical facts of history that are agreed upon by many liberal and conservative scholars alike. Number one, Jesus was buried in a very well-known tomb. And in that tomb, he was guarded by Roman soldiers who knew just what they were doing. That's number one. Number two, on the third day, inexplicably, the tomb was, and it still is. The tomb was empty, and it still is. And then number three, Jesus appeared to believers and to skeptics alike on multiple occasions over the following weeks, many days, many different occurrences in bodily form. Here's the very earliest written testimony that we have of Jesus' resurrection. It comes from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. And he says this Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise, you have believed in vain. I don't know what brought you to church, though, this morning. But you're about to hear what the basic good news gospel message of Jesus is. It's this. Listen carefully. Whatever brought to you to church though this morning, this may be the one reason that God has you here though this morning to hear this. Paul says, "By this gospel you are saved." Well, Paul, what is that gospel? So glad you asked. Here it is. For what I received, verse 3, I passed on to you of very first importance. Paul received it It originates way back to within two or three years of the events themselves. And this is the basic doctrine of Christianity that was passed down to Paul when he believed. And then he begins planting churches throughout the Mediterranean region. What I received, I passed on to you as of very first importance. And here's the gospel. That Christ died for your sins and mine. According to the scriptures. That he was buried... And then he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, half-brother Jesus, who's a skeptic of Jesus. Then he comes to believe in Jesus. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. You move on to verse 17, it says this If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you remain in your sins. These are the stakes. This is what it is. Do you believe in the gospel? That Jesus died for you and he was raised again? And if you trust in that, you belong to him both for now and for all of eternity. You turn from your empty way of life and you turn toward him. You say, Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, and I turn toward you, and by that gospel, you would be made right with God even today. the stakes are simply these. Either he is Lord, or our faith is futile, We remain in our sins, and really the cross becomes meaningless. Over these next few weeks, well, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to spend four Sundays in 1 Corinthians 15. Fifteen, just for the purpose of kind of teasing out what are the implications of the resurrection for our lives. Many times, as Christians, we don't understand what the implications are of this great, great Christian belief that Christ has been raised. And we'll look at resurrection faith, resurrection hope, resurrection victory, resurrection transformation. I really hope that you come back for it. But here are the cold, hard facts, if you will. The only reasonable explanation of what happened between not-so-good Friday and that glorious Easter Sunday is that Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and inexplicably he rose to glory and he lives forevermore. So you go back to our story and you see this couple who are walking along the road. And if you read carefully in this story, Jesus kind of coyly comes and walks with them and they don't even recognize him. He's talking with them along the road and he says, So, guys, what you talking about? And they say, Man, are you the only person in all of Jerusalem that does not know what's been going on these past few days? Like it's been trending number one on Twitter since Friday. And Jesus, lest you think God doesn't have a sense of humor, says, What things? And they explain to him the things. And then Jesus sits down and he eats bread with them. Eats bread with them. And as he breaks bread with them, he, he takes the scriptures just from his memory. He doesn't have a copy of them. But from his memory, he explains how all of the Hebrew scriptures are fulfilled in him. And I should imagine he takes them through the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And takes them through the story of Rahab and Moses and David and Isaiah, and on and on, and he says, all of this was fulfilled in me. I am indeed Lord. You you see, he claimed to be God. He lived the most brilliant life. He was the most authoritative teacher. He offered to die for our sins, and then he went ahead and did so. He went to the grave He said beforehand that the grave would not hold him, but he would be resurrected from the grave on the third day, and then he did it. I don't know about you, but I'm going with that guy. Anyone who says those kinds of things and lived the kind of brilliant life that he did and backs it all up by rising from the grave, I am going with that rather than some nice myth or some little religion that could inspire me for a few months before I move on to to the next thing. I'm going with truth that transforms. It doesn't mean that all of our questions will be answered immediately. And if you're a newcomer here today, again, I pray that you come back and you know that your questions are welcome here. We try to be the kind of church that you don't have to be all put together. We are all in process. We are all asking questions. And I don't know all the answers to all of your questions, but I do know the answer to the main question, and that's that Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, so also we may really live. Because he actually is Lord, because he's conquered the grave, there is hope and there is robust faith for you and me. And friends, faith is not the step into the vast unknown, Faith is a wise step on the basis of evidence that we confidently say, because He conquered the grave, I will trust in you, and that stabilizes our lives. Because the tomb is empty, our faith is full. Christ is alive, Christ is God, and indeed our victory is secure. This is what it means He's Lord, and our victory is sure. Again, make no mistake. If the grave held Jesus and he wasn't risen far from the grave, if it all ended on that Roman cross with crucifixion, then his life was just a tragedy. Nothing more, nothing less. But if he rose, then our victory is sure. I heard a story of an overzealous Sunday school teacher could you imagine? Who was telling a little story to her six-year-old class, and there was one boy in particular, six-year-old boy who was listening to the story, as the woman was explaining to him and his fellow classmates all that Jesus went through in those final days. And she explained to him that he went down to this garden called Gethsemane to pray, and his friends fell asleep. And then after that, he was betrayed by another friend, and he's arrested. And then he appears before the Roman governor and before Caiaphas, the great leader of the Jewish people, and they kind of joined hands in that moment and agreed to crucify Jesus. And the next thing that happened is Jesus was stripped down naked and uh, Pilate gave the soldiers, of course, that lead-tipped whip that they whipped him 39 times and his back was cut into shreds. And she gets vivid with this explanation. Then she explains that he took that old Roman cross up the hill called Calvary where the nails went through his hands and through his feet, and as she's going through the explanation, this boy, you can imagine, his eyes are getting bigger and bigger and wetter and wetter. And he just can't fathom the injustice of it all. Why could they do such things to such a kind and innocent man until eventually he can't hold it back any longer, and he just blurts out, where in the heck was the state police when all this was going down? (laughs) Good question, young man. Okay, forget about the state police. Where was God? Where was God when all this was going down? And I know every person in this room was asked that question at one point of time or another. I certainly have asked that question. Where's God when all of this was going down? And I don't know what it is for you today. Relational heartache, a divorce, a miscarriage, loss of health, financial bankruptcy. I, I don't know what it would be for you, but every one of us at one time or another is likely to ask this question, where is God in the midst of this crucible? that I am going through. And I think that's what this couple on the road are asking as well, to which Jesus says to them, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all of these things before entering his glory? In other words, what he says to them is, God's purposes are different than your plans. Let me say that again. God's purposes are different, and they are better than my plans, than your plans. And what they were looking for as they walked along the road was freedom from foreign oppression. And eventually, Jesus, of course, did want to give them freedom from foreign oppression. But first, he wanted to give them freedom from something that was even deeper, and give us freedom from something that's even deeper. And that's from the just penalty that comes from sin when we have sinned against a holy and righteous God. And he frees us from that by giving his son on the cross for us such that we are not going to ever have to pay the penalty of our guilt because God turned his eye away from Jesus on that cross, he will never turn his eye away from you and me. This is the good word for us and God's plan was far greater than their plans. His purposes were far greater than their plans. And we gotta hold on to this when we're going through suffering of any different kind that we could be experiencing even today. This bolsters our faith. And think about it. A cross was pure evil. It was pure evil. It was the greatest of all evils because it was against. The only one who was purely good. Jesus is the only one in all of history who was without sin. The only one in all of history who was 100% innocent. It's pure evil meted out against pure goodness. And so on that day, it was the worst of all days. And God turned into the best of all days. So I don't know what you're going through today. But we know the rain is gonna pour on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. I mean, if the last month in Nebraska has taught us anything, the rain is gonna pour on the good and the evil alike. But we hold on, and we hang on, and we hope on, because Sunday is coming. Isn't that right? Sunday is coming for us as well. They understood the victory that was theirs. It may not have been freedom from Roman oppression in that moment, but the victory was theirs of forgiveness of sins. And they say together, after Jesus leaves them in Luke 24, 32, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And friends, that's available to us also. We may not be able to touch his uh, leathered Middle Eastern skin. We may not be able to look into his beautiful eyes of compassion. We may not be able to feel his splintered hands or his strong arms or to feel the embrace of a hug from Jesus. We may not get all of that, but he said that he would leave us, his Holy Spirit, to be with us, and he's with us even right now. And he will always be with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. And Jesus said beyond that, your victory is sure because I live so also you who believe in me shall live indeed as well. Our victory is sure. It will include going through a cauldron of suffering, but I am so thankful on this Easter morning that we have a faith that is based in history. It's not a mere wish. It's not an old wives' tale. It's the truth. And I'm so thankful that we have a faith that is not just a faith of the cold, hard facts. It's also this emotional reality that Christ is near to us, that he loves us, that he's for us. Part of the resurrection hope is you can be in a down place right now and he can help your heart to beat again. Our hearts can burn within us once again as we experience the power of resurrection and as we choose to spend time with him each and every day. As you leave today, My prayer for you is that you would be bolstered once again by the proof that the resurrection provides, that your faith is stable in Christ. In the midst of all the instability of this world, there is something that is stable. We can take our stand in him. He loves you. He wants the very best for you. He will fight for the best for you. And while it feels like we're living somewhere between the horror of Good Friday and the glory of Easter Sunday morning, hang on, because Easter Sunday is coming to you too. Would you pray with me? Well, oh, Father, I thank you for Jesus. What a beautiful name Jesus is. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to go all the way to the cross, even for me, a sinner. I was deeply in need of your grace. I was doing things my own way, and you chose to come even for me. Thank you, Father, that you sent your Son for every person in this room. You know just where we are. You know all the good, and you know all the bad, and still you are wooing us a little bit closer to you. We want to take a step closer to you right now. Would you have us, God? Father, thank you that you, uh, you don't give us a little myth to believe in. You don't give us more religion to practice. Thank you that we have an intelligent, evidence-based faith and we can take a strong step toward God. Based on the evidence you've given And we thank you God that the presence of Jesus is warming to our souls I know that there are people in here today that are burned out by life and they need your help and I ask that you would give it and that the presence of your spirit would warm burdened souls even today Father thank you that you sent your son even for us. Thank you for the promise of Jesus that because he lives, so also we may really live both now and for all of eternity. To God be all praise. We say together, amen.